This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, the Bruins and Capitals uh, played game two of their first round Stanley Cup playoff series last night. And again, uh, they did not disappoint. We'll get you ready for tonight's Wizards-Celtics play-in game in Boston. Big game for several reasons. Have a couple uh, high school coaching vacancies. None around here in our area, our region. But names that you may be familiar with. We'll talk about that. And what to do with people who fight at sporting events. I have the answer, and it's a quite simple one, actually. All that and more coming up on today's Rush on this terrific Tuesday morning. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day. Although, can you feel it? Can you feel it that the essential work days are coming to an end? Not tomorrow or the day after, but you kind of get the feeling sooner rather than later that I won't be able to say that anymore. I mean, people are getting back to work as it is. I think the whole label of essential workers is, you know, gone. I think... Uh, First, I hated the term to begin with, essential and non-essential. But we're starting to see non-essential workers, for whatever that term is worth, getting back, getting back to action. It's happening, man. It's happening all over. Whether you're ready for it or not, it's happening. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Check out our Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush. My page at Rush Tony C, our Facebook page at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All three of those pages, as always, free and open to the public. Like them, follow them at any time. Feel free to uh, drop me a line, send a message. Uh, DMs are open, as the kids say. Got a question, a comment, an opinion. You want to chime in on anything we talk about, or you want to bring up a new subject yourself, that's fine. Whatever. Anyway, all those pages are there for you. Also, Rush Line is open, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day. You know the deal. You know the deal by now. If you miss any show, any prior show, any previous show, any past show, they're all right there on the podcast page. So you can go back and listen uh, at your convenience. All right, a lot of stuff to get to today. Let's kick off the shows. We kick off every show with the Rock Around the Region. And we start with the Stanley Cup playoffs where the Capitals and Bruins played game two of their first round series in Washington. The Caps 
were three minutes away from taking a 2-0 series lead. But then... Bruins trailing 3-2 in Washington. All around a check. Into the left circle. Now to the dot. Kept out in front of Smith. Jamming away. Anderson the same. Rebound. Hall fires. They score! Taylor Hall slams it home and then celebrates in the right corner. And the Boston Bruins have tied the game at three here late in the third period. The call on 98.5, the sports hub, Taylor Hall tied the game with 2.49 left in regulation to send it into overtime. Rachie with a steal, right point, goes across the ice to Grizzlick, across right circle, it's fired, they score! Brad Marchand from the far circle whistles in a one-timer, 39 seconds into overtime, and the Boston Bruins victorious 4-3 in OT to tie the series at one. The call again on the hub, 4-3, the final Bruins wasted no time. In ending the game and tying up the series, Garnett Hathaway had two goals for Washington. The series now shifts to Boston for Game 3 on Wednesday night. Speaking of games in Boston, tonight in the NBA, the Wizards will take on the Celtics in the Eastern Conference 7-8 play-in game. Winner will clinch the seventh seed and face the Nets in Round 1. Loser will host the winner of the 9-10 game between Indiana and Charlotte, More on that game uh, later on in the hour. In boys' high school basketball, the West Virginia Class A All-State team was announced yesterday. Pendleton County's Josh Bailey was named captain of the second team. His teammate Josh Alt, also a member of the All-State second team. In high school baseball, Griffin Madden had three hits and drove in three runs as Allegheny handed Northern its first loss of the season 9 to nothing. Eli Wallace struck out seven for the campers, who improved to four and one. The Huskies fell to nine and one. Elsewhere, Noah Robinette had two hits and drove in two runs as Calvary Christian beat Bishop Walsh 11 to one. Noah Hauderschelt had a double and single for BW. It was Frankfurt over Berkeley Springs in extras six to four, and Kaiser beat East Fairmont nine to two. In high school softball, Alexis Shoemaker and Morgan Pratt homered as Kaiser beat Moorfield uh, 5-2. In Major League Baseball, John Lester and Kyle Schwarber made their returns to Wrigley Field as members of the Nationals. And it did not go well. Duffy has his lead. Lester's pitch to Hayward. Lifted toward deep left center. Going back, Schwarber near the wall. That ball's gone! Jason Hayward, opposite field, two-run homer, Cubs lead 3-0. The call on the Cubs radio network, 7-3 the final as the Cubs took the first game of the four-game set. Chicago hit three home runs off of Lester, who gave up five runs on eight hits in five and a third innings. Schwarber did have a two-run homer for the Nats, uh, which had won three of four uh, before last night. Orioles and Pirates both off yesterday. The O's open a three-game series tonight at home against Tampa. Matt Harvey, the scheduled starter for Baltimore, and the Pirates begin a mini two-game series tonight at St. Louis. Uh, J.T. Brubaker takes the mound for the Bucks, and that is uh, your rock around the region. So, all right, we're going to start with the NHL. And yesterday, I issued a friendly challenge to anybody 
who doesn't like hockey or who never really got into hockey. I challenged him to watch the Bruins-Capitals game last night because the opening weekend of the Stanley Cup playoffs was just fantastic. And I said yesterday, if the rest of the postseason is going to be anything like the weekend, it's going to be a great postseason. And the Bruins and Capitals did not disappoint last night. If, you, if you're a non-hockey person and you sat down and watched that game, it, look, it, if you gave it a chance, if you didn't get hooked, or at the very least have a different opinion of the game after you watched it, all right, so be it. It's obviously not for you. But, man, what another great playoff game between the Bees and the Caps last night. Ninth, something about these two teams getting together, there's always some high drama. Ninth straight playoff game between these two decided by one goal. One, going all the way back to their series in 2012. And the first two games of this series went to overtime. Caps won the first game 3-2 in OT. Bruins get it last night, 4-3 in OT. Now, I would have sat here today with egg on my face if it had been like, you know, an 8-1 stinker. You're not going to get too many fans. <laughs> You're not going to attract too many people in the game. Because Believe it or not, a high-scoring game in hockey could actually be worse than a close game. Actually, it is worse. People seem to really enjoy, like if a baseball game is 8-5, to five, people really like it. But if there's a score in hockey like 7-2, to two, it's eh. Because big, league, big leads are, are very rarely overcome in hockey. It's the games that go down to the wire. It's the one-goal games. It's the overtime games, especially in the playoffs. That are just so exciting. And look, Bruins, I'm a Penguins fan, so I'm watching the Bruins-Capitals game with some interest because obviously if the Penguins get past the first round, if, it's a big if, then they'll play the winner of the Bees and the Caps. So I'm watching with some interest, but I'm also watching as a hockey fan. And it's, it's, it's really good hockey. And you heard the call, Brad Marchand, he gets uh, the game-winning goal in OT. Fastest game-winning overtime goal in Bruins playoff history. Just 39 seconds in. And usually when it comes to playoff hockey, if a game goes to overtime, you're lucky if it only goes one. Because oftentimes it'll go two, sometimes three. We've seen overtime games go four, five, six overtimes. You play until somebody scores. So usually you have some time to get settled in, right? Usually you have some time to uh, get up. Now the difference, in, in and again, this, I'm, I'm talking to folks who don't follow the game. If you do follow the game, then obviously I'm just I'm repeating stuff you already know. So bear with me. But there's a difference in playoff hockey than regular season hockey. Like if a game is tied in the regular season, they go to a quick commercial break. They come back and they're playing on three-on-three hockey. In the playoffs, if it's tied after regulation, they have a full intermission, a full 15-minute intermission. 
and then they're playing 20 minutes of, of just regular hockey until somebody scores. If nobody scores after the first OT, it's another full 15-minute intermission, which is why some of those games could last hours and hours and hours. But usually, because nobody wants to make a mistake in overtime, right? Come playoff time. Nobody wants to make that mistake. Nobody wants to turn over the puck like Brendan Dillon did last night for the Caps. So teams, they're, they're, they're very cautious. They're very uh, calculated in overtime, which is a big reason why those games go, usually they usually go a long time. Overtime games in the playoffs aren't usually decided in 39 seconds, like, like last night's game. But Marchand scores 39 seconds in, beating Bobby Orr's record by one second. And Bobby Orr, that game, that iconic picture of Orr scoring in overtime and he dives and he's parallel to the ice. It's one of the greatest, the most one of the most iconic sports photos ever. Now, Marchand, he didn't do a dive, although he did jump into the bench. It was pretty cool. Uh, Tuka Rask, solid in net for Boston. He made 36 saves. Craig Anderson, who we talked about yesterday, a man's going to turn 40 in a couple days, did a more than adequate job uh, filling in for the injured uh, Vita Vanacek. And he was under fire all night long. He faced 52 shots, and he stopped 48, but didn't stop the one that mattered in overtime. And, And it really wasn't his fault. I mentioned Brendan Dillon. Uh, bad turnover in the cap zone. Pretty weak attempt to clear. Bruins kept it in. And Marchand gets a cross ice pass. Ends it with a one-timer. Anderson really had no chance to stop it. He couldn't get over fast enough to stop it. It was a great shot by Marchand. Boom. Game over. He jumps into the bench to celebrate. And the series is tied 1-1. ESPN analyst Barry Melrose on what is shaping up to actually what is already a, a tremendous series. I, I thought Anderson was fine tonight. I, I don't think they have to be worried about him. Um, I, they're, they're just both very evenly matched teams. The superstars are great players. They play very hard. They both play a physical style. They're both big. Uh, that's not going to change. The Bruins aren't going to change how they played. They won a Stanley Cup playing that way. Washington Capitals aren't going to change how they played. Uh, they won a Stanley Cup their way. The one thing they have done is shut down Ovechkin. And Krejci, those two guys are not getting goal-scoring chance whatsoever. Backstrom isn't either, really. It's amazing that they're in 1-1 in this series with the Stars not getting the job done by the Washington Capitals. But uh, that's what I've learned is that the, the Stars for the Washington Capitals got to start putting the puck in the net regular. It looks like the Bruins are over that now, and their big guns are starting to, to play better offensively, starting to get some goals. So that means that Washington has to match that intensity of the Bruins. Yeah, and to Barry's point, Ovechkin has two assists in two games. He had a helper in game one. He had a helper last night. Uh, Nicholas Backstrom, zero points so far this series. And it, it really is a miracle that the series is tied 1-1. Oshie's been playing well for the Caps. You know, you Garnett Hathaway scoring twice yesterday for Washington. Got other guys stepping up. But the series is tied 1-1 going back to Boston. And Ovechkin and Backstrom have been pretty much non-existent for Washington. Now, I talked about the opening weekend being so good. Last night's game was the fifth straight this postseason that was decided by one goal, with four of them going to overtime. 
mean, you can't ask for a better start. Which is why I challenged people yesterday, if you ever wanted to get into hockey or you ever were curious about this sport, this is the time to watch. This is the time to get hooked. Because there's nothing better. Nothing. I will put the Stanley Cup playoffs up against any playoffs. Even the NCAA tournament. You, As far as drama goes and suspense and just great action, you can't beat it. You can't beat it. Now, the last two games of the night, uh, they weren't as close. Peter Ryder, backhand's running. Bernatius, Natchez across for Trochek. Saros gets a pad to it. And get Francis on your front. And the rebound, they'll score. Peter Ryder on the set up the loose puck. And Nino Peter Ryder on the spot buries it. And the Canes fill up 3-2. The call on 99 The Fan. You know another great thing about hockey? The names. You just you don't find names like Nimmo Niederreiter in most sports. But but the Canes uh beat the Predators in game one of their series 5-2. And the Avalanche, the President Cup winning Avalanche, uh beat the Blues in Colorado 4-1. So those two games, you know, not as close as most of the previous ones to start this uh playoff uh, season. Now, the one great thing about that Nashville-Carolina game, and I noticed it as soon as I turned the game on because they were coming back from commercial. They showed one of those wide, you know, panoramic shots of the arena. Uh, where are they play in Carolina? Is it um, – I always get confused. It's at PNC Arena, which I get – you know, I hear PNC, I automatically think the Pirates – but the Hurricanes play in PNC Arena. So they come back from commercial, and they, they, they show the usual, you know, the wide shot of the arena. And there were tons and tons of these white towels waving in the stands. There were, I think they said around 12,000 people in the arena, which is about two-thirds capacity. But it, it looked full. It sounded full. And let me tell you something. It was a joyous sight to behold. Now, I'm not here to discuss whether there should or shouldn't be that many people in one place. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not wasting my time on those discussions anymore. All I know is that I can't remember the last time I turned on a game and saw that many people in attendance. And it gave me goosebumps. It gets, I'm, I'm getting bumpy now just talking about it. It has been so long since I saw an arena or a stadium jam-packed with people like that. Now, I know that I think the Rangers had full capacity like for opening day. I didn't, I didn't get to see any video of that. But just seeing all those people in one place, and again, whether you think there should be or shouldn't be, I, whatever. But just seeing it, because you know what was the thing that we've strived for the most over the last I don't know year plus is we've always just kind of been reaching, grasping for any sense of normalcy, right? Anything that we could see, or hear, or taste, or touch that made us feel normal uh, during this pandemic, right? That was always the thing we we're looking out for. That last night. Seeing that PNC arena with 12,000 
Hurricanes fans, waving those towels, getting loud. Man, that felt normal. That felt like it used to. And it was it was just so great to see. And I look forward to seeing more and more. I, I do believe that uh, they are expanding capacity uh, for the Penguins game tonight. I do believe. Because they only had a couple thousand uh, for game one against the Islanders on Sunday. I think that's going up to like five or 6,000 tonight. So slowly but surely, we're starting to see the gates open more and more and more and more people getting in. And I'm up, sign me up. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. And in case you're wondering, from what I could tell, there were still a lot of people in the Hurricanes crowd wearing masks, just in case you're wondering. Now, there were some that that weren't. And again, I'm not getting into those discussions anymore. It wasn't like there were 12,000 people there and they were all maskless. But it was just, it was great to see. It really was. Love it. Love playoff hockey. Catch the fever, baby. Come on. All right, time for a break. When we come back, we'll switch gears from the NHL to the NBA. The Wizards. Really big game tonight in Boston. We'll talk about that next. Get you ready for it. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. Hit me up on Twitter at WCMD Morning Rush or uh, on Facebook at WCMD Cumberland Radio. And uh, we were talking last segment about the Washington-Boston Stanley Cup playoff series. Tonight we have another Washington-Boston clash. A lot of Washington-Boston stuff going on. Hey, maybe we'll see a uh, Washington-New England Super Bowl. (laughs) No, no, because they're they're not good. Either team, really. Uh, Tonight in Boston, the Celtics will host the Wizards for a one Eastern Conference play-in game. Uh, Boston finished the regular season as the seventh seed. Right at 500 at uh, 36 and 36. Washington finished two games behind them at 34 and 38. But really, both teams uh, finished the regular season in, in very different ways. The Wizards uh, finished off the regular season winning 17 of their last 23 games, 17 and 6. While the Celtics, they did have a six game win streak. But then after that, they lost 10 of their last 15 games. So the Wizards, 17-6 and six down the stretch. The Celtics, 5-10 and 10 down the stretch. Again, coming in from two different directions. And tonight's game is important on several different levels. The winner obviously clinches the seventh seed and will face the second-seeded Nets this weekend in the first round. The loser gets a night off before having to host the winner of the 9-10 game, which is either Indiana or Charlotte. That game will be on Thursday to see who gets the eighth seed and number one Philadelphia in the first round. 
So you're talking about the difference of playing. Not that either, not that either series is going to be easy, because the Sixers only finished one game ahead of the Nets. So really, it's like one and one A. But still, the seventh seed, you get the number two. Eight seed, you get the number one. Maybe even, I don't want to say more important than that, but it's close. Winner of tonight's game gets some rest. And at this time of year, there's a huge difference between getting three days off and getting just one day off. Because that's the difference between winning tonight and then sitting around and resting up until this weekend or losing tonight and then having to play again on Thursday. And both teams are banged up. Uh, Celtics, of course, they lost Jalen Brown for the season after wrist surgery. Jason Tatum, he's dealing with a left ankle issue. Kemba Walker has a nerve issue. And then there's Bradley Beal's left hamstring, which we've talked about here the past couple days. Beal, uh, he missed three straight games with his bad left hammy before returning for the regular season finale against Charlotte on Sunday. Looked real slow out of the gate. He hit just two of 11 shots in the first half, had just five points. But then, second half of that game, he heated up, and he dropped 20. And he said after the game that it really didn't get worse as the game went on, right? Does that make sense? Like, it was there. He knew it was there. It was it was aggravating, but it didn't get any worse. And, and Bill said yesterday that he feels good, but he certainly won't beat 100% for tonight's game. I don't know what percentage. Obviously not 100. I mean, we all know that. I can't really put a percentage on it. Uh, I know there's a lot of limitations to things that I can and can't do. I didn't want my first game back to be the playing game, which is, you know, knock on wood if we lost yesterday. You know, every all the marbles are on Tuesday. You know, so I didn't, I didn't necessarily want that. I at least want to give myself a chance and see how I felt. I feel good. I will say I'm not as sore as I thought I would be. I'm not. Um, as beat up as I thought, like I feel feel pretty good. Still a little bit sore, uh, but obviously treatment will be my friend in the next 24 hours. So it's something to definitely keep an eye on, uh, Bill's hamstring in tonight's game, to see how much that really affects him because they're, they're going to need him. They, they're going to need him. He averaged 31 points a game this year, and he's a big reason why they were able to beat Charlotte on Sunday. Without those 25 points, they probably don't. And then they're playing in the 9-10 game tonight. Which, again, the big difference there is you lose the night. Like, somebody's season is going to end tonight, either Indiana or Charlotte. Whoever loses, they're done. Season's over. Thanks for the memories. Uh, catch you next year. The winner at least gets one more game. So, they Bill didn't want that to happen. So, he's like, you know, I'm going to play in this finale Sunday, see what happens. And they needed his 25, you know, 20 in the second half. Celtics, 21 and 15 at home this season. Wizards, 15 and 21 on the road. Now, Boston beat Washington two out of three games in the regular season, but they haven't played each other since late February. So I don't, you take that for what it's worth, right? Two obviously different teams since they last played. And even though Washington only won. One of the three, Bill averaged 41 points a game in those three games against the Celtics. 
Uh, they had the late game tonight. Indiana and Charlotte have the first game at 6.30. Then the Wizards and Celtics tip at 9. So, again, we have different opinions. Uh, there are differing opinions on if you like the play-in tournament or you don't. If it's right, if it's wrong, if it's good for the game, if it's bad for I don't, it, it's, you can go round and round and round. But you look at tonight's games, and they're they're pretty big, right? There's definitely some high sta- some high drama, high drama involved, especially in that first game. Especially in, in years past, we're we're not even talking about Indiana and Charlotte right now. Their season's over, right? In in in, in past years that before the pandemic, they're already they're already golfing, they're already packing up and going home. But now with this little play-in tournament, they have a chance to survive and advance to Thursday. I like the Wizards' chances. I really do. And I've been saying this now for the past couple of weeks. Now, Bill's injury notwithstanding, because that, that's going to that's going to make a difference. But I I like the Wizards tonight. Last time I checked, Celtics are only favored by like a point and a half, two points, uh, favored by a bucket more or less. It's not much when you're playing at home. That's not a whole lot when you're at home. As a matter of fact, let me see that. Let me double check real quick. I don't want to give you any false information. I don't want to mislead you. I don't want to say one thing and then it turn out to be another. So let me make sure I got that line correct here. Let's see. It is. Okay, it's two. It's it's two. Uh, most books have uh, the Celtics favored by two. One has them by, you know, it opened at three. Now it's down to two. So that shows you how strong and how tough Vegas sees Washington because they're on the road and they're only two-point underdogs. I like the way Washington's playing. Russell Westbrook down the stretch, missed a triple-double. If Beal can be at least, you know, hey, I'll, I'll take an 80, 85% Bradley Beal over a no Bradley Beal, you know what I mean? If he averages 31 healthy, he'll give you 20, 22 at 80, 85%. You'll take it. Other guys obviously have to step up. But given the way both teams are playing down the stretch, given the way that they finished the regular season, given the way that Boston has a little, they have a few more, you know, bumps and bruises and nagging injuries. and I like the Wizards tonight. That's the play for me. Take the Wiz to win tonight, lock up that seven seed, and face the Nets in the first round and get Bradley Bill that much needed uh, three days, four days rest before the first round opens up. All right, time for one last break and back to wrap up our number one. Taking your calls, rush lines open 301 759. 2628. This is the Morning Rush, 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Did you see what happened uh, to Kevin Pillar uh, last night? Uh, the Mets outfielder took a fastball off the face. Uh, Metro playing the Braves. The Braves reliever Jacob Webb went high and very tight 
and hit Pilar. At first, you kind of thought it was he hit him in a helmet, but not caught him right in the face. And there's a video of Pilar just like on his hands and knees over home plate and blood just pouring off the bridge of his nose. He was able to walk off the field under his own power, went to the hospital for a TC or T or blah, 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 CT scan. And uh, Mets manager Luis Rojas said that uh, they'll find out more about Pilar's injury today. Pilar did, after the fact, uh, send out a tweet uh, saying, thanks to everyone that has reached out, scary moment, but I'm doing fine. Hashtag RBI, hashtag game winner. And it was a, it's a scary thing, man. Anytime a pitcher goes up high and tight with a fast, there's a 94-mile-per-hour there's fastball, and it hit him right in the nose. And I hate to be I hate to be this way because we saw it earlier this season when Bryce Harper got hit in the face with a fastball. Pitchers just don't know how to pitch anymore. This is a direct result of pitchers or teams just getting guys who throw hard. Some of these guys are frightening because yeah, they can throw 98, 99. But they have no idea where it's going. All right? And we talk all the time about major league hitters don't hit anymore. It's either home run, strikeout, or walk. I mean, that's pretty much what they do nowadays. Pitchers don't pitch anymore. Now, you have the exceptions, of course. But it's, it gets scarier and scarier when you have guys that are taking a mound, these power pitchers, who seem that's that's the end thing. That's what they do now. Who cares about you don't need two, three, four pitches anymore. You need one. Right? Or two. Give me a 98 mile per hour fastball and something off speed. Give me a changeup. Just to mix it up or a slider. But these guys who throw hard don't know how to pitch. They just throw. And this is what happens. You get you get two. I mean, how many? Think about it though, and maybe it's happened, and I just missed it. What's the last time? What's the last time in a ma- in an entire major league season? You remember two guys getting hit in the face with a fastball? When's the last time it happened? Look, it could have been last year. Maybe I just missed it. I don't know. To my recollection, I can't remember last time what's happened. To have two guys within when did Harper get hit? Like a month ago, I don't know. I can't remember the exact uh, the exact time frame. So you have two guys getting hit in the face with fastballs within the last month or so. That's that's just not a coincidence. These guys just don't know how to pitch anymore. They just don't, especially on the back end. Of course, your starters are a little bit different. It just seems like more and more, if you're a late-inning guy, because this happened, what happened, in the seventh inning? It was late in the game? I think it was was the seventh inning. You have these late-inning relievers, especially the closers. Teams are just like, all right, here's the ball. Just go throw it. Here's the ball. Just throw it as hard as you can. And when that happens, you have very little control. 
Major League Baseball is broken in so many ways. And that's just one of the reasons why it's broken. You got guys who throw 100 or can't control it. You have guys who can't hit at all. And they wonder why people are walking away from the game. It's just, it's just not good at all. The product is not good. But I hope, I hope Pilar's all right. It was a scary moment. You, you hope, you know, worst case scenario, maybe he broke his nose. Hopefully the, the scans come out all right. He's not concussed or anything like that. He can get back on the field. All right, uh, tonight we got some uh, Penguins hockey. Not not here on the station. We have Nationals baseball on the station. But the Pens trying to even their series with the Islanders. Of course, they lost that game in overtime on uh, Sunday in Pittsburgh. And, boy, the last thing the Pens want to do is fall down 2-0. All right? The last, the last thing you want to do as the home team, especially in the Stanley Cup playoffs, is lose those first two games at home. Now, it's not an insurmountable lead by any stretch. Teams have gum, you know, they've, they've dug themselves out of 2 0 holes before, but it's not something you want to make a habit of. Because you, if the Penguins lose tonight. Now they got to win four of the last five games. You have to win four or five, which they're good enough to do. But three of those five will be in New York, on Long Island. It would behoove the Pens to win. And we talked about this yesterday. Tristan Jari's got to be better. He was pretty awful on Sunday. Four, you know, Islanders scored four times. Three of them should have been stopped. Really, the overtime goal was the only one that wasn't his fault. It was just a great shot by Paul Mary. But the Pens just can't afford, and and, and Paul Zeiss, who is uh, the evening host uh, on the fan in Pittsburgh, he also writes for the Post-Gazette, uh, had a good article, a good column yesterday about pressure now, about the pressure being on the Penguins. Because here's a team that's supposed to win. Here's a team coming into this series against the Islanders that they're supposed to win. All right, here's a team, they were they were 22-6 and six at home this year. 22-6 and six at home. And we talked about their record yesterday. After Sunday's loss, they have lost 10 of their last 11 playoff games. Right? And then they lose Sunday at home against a team they should be better than, against a team they are. Now the pressure starts to mount. The pressure starts to mount on head coach Mike Sullivan. It starts to mount on the goaltender Tristan Jari. It starts to mount on the players. They start gripping those sticks a little bit tighter because they're supposed to win. Right, They are supposed to be the better team. They finished first in the division. It's a 1-4 matchup. They match up well against the Islanders. And they lose game one in overtime. And my Lord help them if they lose tonight. If they have to, I'll, I'll call it right now. If they have to go back to Long, to Long Island down 2-0, they're not winning the series. I'll make the call right now. Stamp it. Book it. The Pens lose tonight, they lose the series. They got to even it up tonight or else the series is over. Mark that down. We'll come back to it. Hopefully I'm wrong. All right, hour number one in the books, hour number two around the corner doing push-ups. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD.
This is the Morning Rush. Uh, before we get into uh, some more stuff, let's rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we will start with the Stanley Cup playoffs, where the Capitals and Bruins uh, played game two of their first round series last night in Washington. The Caps were three minutes away from taking a 2 nothing series lead, but then... Bruins trailing 3-2 in Washington. All around a check, into the left circle, now to the dock. Kept out in front of Smith, jamming away. Anderson the save, rebound. Hall fires, they score! Taylor Hall slams it home and then celebrates in the right corner. And the Boston Bruins have tied the game at three here late in the third period. The call on 98.5, the sports hub. Taylor Hall tied the game with 2.49 left in regulation to send the game into Overtime. Krejci with a steal, right point. Goes across the ice to Grizzlick. Across right circle, it's fired. They score! Brad Marchand from the far circle. Whistles in a one-timer. 39 seconds into overtime. And the Boston Bruins victorious 4-3 in OT to tie the series at one. The call once again on the hub. 4-3, the final Bruins wasted no time. In ending the game, tying up the series 1-1, Brad Marchand, the fastest game-winning overtime goal in Bruins playoff history. Garnett Hathaway had two goals for Washington. The series now shifts to Boston for Game 3 tomorrow night. Speaking of games in Boston, tonight in the NBA, the Wizards take on the Celtics in the Eastern Conference 7-8 play-in game. Winner will clinch the seventh seed and will face the Nets in round one. Loser will host the winner of the 9-10 game between Indiana and Charlotte. High school basketball, boys high school basketball. The West Virginia Class A All-State team was announced yesterday. Pendleton County's Josh Bailey was named captain of the second team. His teammate Josh Alt was also a second team selection. In high school baseball, Griffin Madden had three hits and drove in three runs as Allegheny handed Northern its first loss of the season, 9-0. Eli Wallace struck out seven for the campers, who improved to 4-1. and one. The Huskies fell to 9-1. and one. Elsewhere, Noah Robinette had two hits and drove in two as Calvary Christian beat Bishop Walsh 11-1. Noah Houderschelt had a double and single for BW. It was Frankfurt over Berkeley Springs in extras 6-4, and Kaiser beat East Fairmont 9-2. In high school softball, Alexis Shoemaker and Morgan Pratt homered as Kaiser beat Moorfield 5-2. In Major League Baseball, John Lester and Kyle Schwarber made their returns to Wrigley Field as members of the Nationals, and it did not go well. Duffy has his lead. Lester's pitch to Hayward. Lifted toward deep left center. Going back, Schwarber near the wall. That ball's gone. Jason Hayward, opposite field, two-run homer. Cubs lead 3-0. The call on the Cubs radio network, 7-3 the final. The Cubs take the first game of the four-game set. The Cubs hit three home runs off of Lester who gave up five runs on eight hits in just five and a third innings. Schwarber uh, did hit a two-run homer for the Nats, uh, which had one, or who had one, three of four before last night's loss. Orioles and Pirates were both off yesterday. The O's open a three-game series tonight at home against the Rays. Matt Harvey 
is the scheduled starter for Baltimore, and the Pirates begin a... <laughs> uh, I'll explain why I'm laughing in a second. The Pirates begin a mini two-game series tonight at St. Louis. JT Brubaker takes the mound for the Bucks, And that is uh, your rather wet rock around the region. I'm spitting all over myself over here. That's why I'm laughing. I made the mistake of, during that last audio clip, taking a sip of my coffee. And so now the salivary glands are in full force. So as I'm talking, I'm, I'm <laughs> literally drooling out of one side of my mouth because I can't turn off the faucet. Big mistake. I should never reach for the coffee during the show. I should reach for the water. Anyway, I just thought you should know that. Oh, I already said the rock. Uh, all right, let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, all right, so something that uh, I saw last night that really got my attention again. And if you want to chime in, feel free to call 301-759-2628. You know what I'm really getting tired of seeing? I mean really getting tired of seeing. I'm getting tired of seeing these drunk idiots get into fights uh, in the stands at major sporting events. Or any sporting event, uh, for that matter. And this seems to be occurring on a nightly basis. And it's compounded by the fact that there are people and websites and Twitter pages who actually glorify this kind of stuff and who almost seems like in, enjoys it, right? Like the other day I saw a video of a Padres fan uh, putting a Rockies fan to sleep with just one punch. I mean, this walked right up onto him, right hook, down went Frazier, boom, it was it. Then last night I see a video uh, of Bruins and Capitals fans rumbling in the seats uh, down in D.C. And I know, look, I know fans have been, you know, engaging in fisticuffs for decades. This isn't exactly anything new. But with a video camera now in every pocket, in every seat, we, we see more and more of it, right? Anytime there's a fight, anytime there's a, a scrum, a scuffle, it's immediately up on the socials because there's going to be somebody standing around with their phones out and, and they're, they're, they're rolling tape. And look, we know what's to blame for it. It's not a difficult formula. It's idiocy and alcohol, right? Which is really never a good combination in any setting, let alone just you know, at sporting events. And basically what you get is you get one group of drunk morons sitting around another group of drunk morons from the other team. And it's it's usually a powder keg ready to blow because <laughs> people just don't know how to act anymore, right? They just don't. And we just it, we see more and more of it, and I'm just, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing it. And it's the same old story. And, and tell me if I'm wrong here. 
there could there could be a situation where you do have some sober guy who just has a bad temper, right? There, I'm sure there there are situations where somebody is is you know dry as the desert, hasn't had a drop to drink, just gets set off. But usually, how it happens is you get somebody you, you get hammered in the parking lot or at the pub across the street, and, and then you go into the stadium or the arena. And you keep hammering $12 pounders, uh, or if you're in Canada, $33 pounders. And it usually leads to bad things. And a quick quick side note, by the way. I don't know if I've ever told this story before. I went to a hockey game in Canada. My cousin Steve lives up there, and a good friend of mine, Tim, Tim, and Mike, and we went to, it was a uh, Maple Leafs-Capitals game. Right? Of all teams I get to see, right, my first ever Maple Leafs game. Toronto is a great place to see a hockey game. Right? I go north of the border. My first game I ever get to see in Canada, and it happens to be the Capitals, right? And so we're buying rounds, okay? And it's my turn to go. Now, Mike, not a drinker. So Mike was, he was the DD. He was the designated driver. He drove to and from uh, the city. So one guy goes up, comes back. The other guy, Timmy, goes and comes back. Then it's my turn, right? Wait to an intermission, wait to a break. I go up and I grab, you know, three, uh, I think it was Molson's, right? And on my way back, coming down the steps, they just start falling out laughing because there is apparently a look on my face of complete and total shock and just bewilderment because what they did not tell me, and they knew ahead of time, they knew they were setting me up. They did not tell me how much a beer cost at a Maple Leafs game. I dropped nearly 60 bucks on three. All right. You follow me here? Do the math. Do the math. It might have been more than 60. Now, I had the money because everything is more expensive north of the border. But it just blew me away. It blew me away how much <laughs> how much a, an adult beverage cost in Toronto. Anyway, back to what I was talking about. I've never forgiven those guys for it. They still bring it up. They still laugh at it. They still laugh about it. I'm walking down. I was actually a little bit mad. I was walking down those steps, you know, with the old cup holder. And uh, I, I wasn't, you know, I was like, this is bull. I can't believe I just spent as much money on three beverages. Anyway, I have a a quick, surefire solution here to uh, getting rid of these these fights, these rumbles in the stance. And it's, it's really, uh, it's not that difficult. If you fight, you're gone, right? If you fight, you're gone forever. It's really, it's that simple. And it's a rule that should be adopted from pro leagues all the way down to little league. If you engage, if you cannot conduct yourself as an adult, if you cannot conduct yourself in a civil manner, at these public sporting events, 
If you engage in a physical altercation at a game, you're done. Banned for life. And I don't care if it's peewee league. I don't care if it's middle school, high school, college, pros, across the board. The best way to stop this buffoonery in the bleachers in this is just to kick them out and to let them back in. Right? It, it goes back to the old saying, all right, you want to act like an idiot, we're going to treat you like an idiot. If you have season tickets and you get into a fight in the stadium, your tickets get revoked, and you spend the rest of your life watching your favorite team on the big screen down at the local watering hole. That's the rest of your life. If you don't have season tickets, but try to buy tickets online, the sale gets blocked. Now, I understand it would be hard to enforce if you just buy, you can go buy a ticket off a scalper and walk in. When you're talking about, depending on the sport, 20, 30, 40,000 people walking through the gates, it's kind of hard to pinpoint, you know, (laughs) one particular person who's gotten into a fight before. But there's got to be some, something has to be done to deter these drunken buffoons from getting in. And I don't, I don't care why it happened. I don't care how it happened. I don't care who started it. If you get liquored up and you get into a scrap at a football game or a baseball game, man, just stay home. Stay Because you're obviously not fit to go out in public. You're obviously not conditioned well enough to conduct yourself in a proper, member, uh, a proper manner in, in a public setting. Just stay home. And that should it'll be much easier to enforce on the much lower levels. And we've seen it before. We we've seen videos of people scrapping at a little league baseball game because people have no clue how to act like adults and conduct themselves properly because they simply weren't brought up right. And the easiest way to solve that problem is you kick them out, don't let them back. You, and it's it's no no warning. Don't put them in the drunk tank down the bottom of the stadium for a couple hours and no $500 fine, right? Do not pass go. Do not collect 200 bucks. Immediate one-time deal. You fight, whoosh, you're gone, and you're not coming back ever. Again, you want to act like a moron? We'll treat you like a moron. I can sit here and I can say proudly that I have been to, I don't even know how many games in my life. If you add them all up, if you add them all up, high school games, middle, I mean, just college games, pro games, I don't know, it's into the hundreds. I can sit here and proudly say I've never been in one scrap, one altercation. Nothing like that. Nothing. And I'm not one to stay dry during the game. I'm not. I'll I'll, I'll have my beverages like anybody else. But I got some common sense. All right? I was brought up right. I know how to go and have a good time 
with a couple beverages and not act like a complete and total buffoon. And I don't, I don't understand. I'm just, I'm just getting so tired of seeing it. Because it's not, it's not like I mean, I'm looking for these things. I'm just, I'm just scrolling through Twitter last night, and I see this video of the Bruins fans and the Capitals fans, and it's one website in particular who I have a love hate relationship with. That kind of glorifies this stuff. And people, some people think it's funny. Some people think it's great. Oh, look at these guys. Oh, they're fighting in a stand. It's buffoonery. It's idiocy. And it's got to stop. And I don't know why these leagues just don't put their foot down sooner. If I don't understand why these teams just simply don't drop the hammer on these fans who go to the games and simply don't know how to act. Even if they're not fighting, if they're just acting like idiots, just kick them out. And there'll be there are other people more than happy to take those tickets and take those seats. But it's got to start somewhere. It's got to start somebody, some team, some organization has got to take the lead and be the first ones to say, "Look, man, if you come into this stadium or you come into this arena and you act up." You're done. Banned for life. We don't want, somebody's got to say, we don't want that type of fan in our stadium. We don't want, you know, we don't want, people might say that's bad publicity, that's bad press, that a team might not do that because they don't want to alienate or upset anyone. Somebody's got to say, you're not the kind of fan we want rooting for our team. Go root for somebody else. Go switch your jerseys, go buy a new hat, go buy tickets to somebody else. You're not the kind of guy or girl, because it happens both ways in the stands. You're not the kind of guy or girl we want representing our franchise, our organization as a fan, in our fan base. So get out and stay out. Don't come back. We don't want you here. And it's not that difficult. It can't be that difficult to do that. I don't even... I don't ever remember even seeing like any kind of uh, warnings at games. Do you? Like, if you go to a, a baseball game, or you know, there's always these little disclaimers and stuff before the game starts on the big screen. You know, fans in attendance. You know, please beware of foul balls entering the. You know, fans in attendance. Please don't throw anything on the field. Fans in attendance. Please be aware. Please. I don't ever see anybody say fans in attendance. Uh, don't be dumb. Right, fans in attendance, please act like you know better. Fans in attendance, please uh, don't get involved in fisticuffs. Like I never hear that anywhere. Like why is that so hard? It would be real easy for a team to come out and just before the game starts, fans in attendance, reminder: if you fight, you're banned for life. You will never step foot in this stadium again. Enjoy the game. I guarantee you some people would think twice before running their mouths and getting into, you know, scrums in the bleachers. It just, it takes away, it takes away from the, it's not the experience that I want at the ballpark or an arena or whatever. You got kids around, you got women around, you got uh, old people around, you got all, you know, all different uh, shapes and sizes and ages and every it's, it's it's supposed to be a place where people can go and enjoy the game and watch the game and root for your team together as a fan base or whatever. It's not a place you want to go to. 
and hear loudmouth drunk morons drop F-bombs every three seconds and get into screaming matches and throw punches and wrestle. It's just not it's, – it's, people just don't know how to act anymore. And it's up to these teams and these organizations to put the foot down and say, all right, that's enough. If you can't act right in our building, then you don't come back in the building. Maybe it's time that I write a, a sternly worded letter to these organizations to say, hey, I want to come to your games, but I don't want to be in, you know, I don't want to be around <laughs> these idiots. Do something about it. All right, time for a break. News and weather coming up. Then back with more on the morning rush here on WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. A couple of vacancies opened up in high school basketball. And they may be a few names that you are familiar with. No, no nothing around this area or uh, region. But one vacancy that opened up yesterday. Longtime uh, Robert C. Bird, boys coach Bill Bennett, retired yesterday. Uh, Bennett coached for 33 years, the last 19 at RCB. Uh, He had a record of 322 wins, 128 losses. Uh, He took his 2014 team to the AA state title game. They were undefeated that year. Got all the way to the AA state title game before they lost to Bluefield. Uh, Bennett also took the Eagles to the uh, state semifinals in 2019 and just this past season, RCB was 15 and 2, the number one seed in AAA before getting upset. And we talked about it how many times on the, by Hampshire, becoming the first number one seed to ever lose to an eight seed. I'm certain not exactly the way that Bennett wanted to go out in that fashion, but he hangs him up. And uh, he told Metro News that he was he was close to leaving last year. But the way last season ended with the pandemic wasn't exactly, you know, the best way to go out. And he said that, you know, even his wife encouraged him to go out with this senior class at RCB. So he went ahead and he taught another year. And he, he, I, th- I think he sent his... Letter of, resig- letter of resignation in English for teaching back in January. But he didn't want to do the basketball thing until after the season was over. He didn't want it to be a distraction to the kids. So uh, long time, Robert C. Bird coach Bill Bennett uh, retires. Another coaching vacancy that has opened up, and this also should be a very familiar name, for those of you that know high school basketball. Uh, the job at DeMatha is now open. As head coach Mike Jones has left the program, he was hired as the uh, associate head coach at Virginia Tech, making the jump from high school to the ACC. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, DeMatha isn't your everyday you know, high school basketball program. We're talking cream of the crop, one of the best high school basketball programs in the entire country. So it's not like, you know, he left some 
single-A school in New Jersey to become an associate head coach at Virginia Tech. All due respect to single-A schools in New Jersey, but you get my point. And if you've ever attended the Alhambra tournament at Frostburg State, the ACIT, over the past several years, you know you know DeMatha, they're kings of the ACIT, they win it, it seems like, every other year, and you know Coach Jones, a very imposing figure on the bench. Uh, he graduated from DeMatha in 1991, went on and played, I think he played at Georgetown. And then he came back to DeMatha, and he took over for the legendary Morgan Wooten, in 2002. Get this. How's this for a record? In 19 seasons at DeMatha, Jones was five, 511 wins, 119 losses. Now, I, I'm not smart enough to do the math in my head, but that's a pretty good win. What is that? I'm going to do the math right now. Bring out the old handy-dandy uh, cell phone calculator as soon as I can bring it up. Do right here. Five with five eleven plus one eighteen. That's six hundred and thirty games, right? It's a winning percentage of that's eight eighty one. That's an eight eleven winning percentage. <laughs> that's insane. He won eighty one percent of his games at the math of five eleven and one nineteen in nineteen seasons. He won nine uh, WCAC titles. Washington Catholic. Athletic Conference, and, and Lord knows how many ACIT, I have no idea how many titles he's won at the ACIT in those 19 years. But he continued on, you know, the legacy from Morgan Morgan Wooten. Now he's moving on. Whoever takes Jones' spot will be just the third head coach at DeMatha in the last 65 years. They're they're like they're like the Steelers of high school basketball, right? Because Morgan Wooten coached for forty six years, and then Jones for nineteen. Actually, I think that's sixty four years. So the new coach would be at the sixty fifth year. And if I'm the math, I'm the first call I'm making is to Bishop O'Connell to see if Morgan Wooten's son Joe wants the job. Like, that's the first call I'm making. That would make... Now, look, you don't hire people based on the storylines. I get that. It'd be a great storyline for us. Because that would be unbelievably awesome for Joe Wooten, who is a tremendous coach, runs a tremendous basketball camp up at Frostburg State. The connection between the Wooten family and the Wooten basketball camp and the ACIT and Frostburg State has been there forever. But Joe Wooten going to DeMatha, going to coach, to follow in his legendary father's footsteps, that would be amazing. That's the first call I'm making. Because Joe's a fine coach. He's been at Bishop O'Connell forever and a day. Maybe he wouldn't leave. I don't know. Maybe he likes it at O'Connell. But I, I'd have to imagine that would be hard to pass up. If DeMatha came calling and said, Joe, you want to come back? And coach where your dad coached. I I don't see how you walk away from that. I really don't. Not saying they're going to, but that's what I would do. That's what I would do. Because if there's anybody, if there, if there is anybody 
who knows the math of basketball and knows the legend that Morgan Wooten was and and knows the standard that was set by Morgan Wooten at the math. If anybody knows that, it's his son Joe. Joe's been in the WCAC for a long time. He, he knows he knows the ins and outs. That would be the perfect hire. And it would be a great story. So definitely something to keep an eye on. As the Mather searches for just its third head, that's pretty incredible, really. It's the third head coach in the last 64, 65 years. That's pretty amazing. Maybe Joe wouldn't. I don't know. That, that Those are big shoes to fill, all right? Now, Mike Jones obviously had no problem filling those shoes. He took over from Morgan and had a tremendous career there. So much so, now he's coaching at, at, in the ACC. That'd be a lot of pressure. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine, like, your dad or your mom, your mother, let's say your mom was a coach and coached for 40-plus years and is just an absolute legend, a name known nationwide, a name that is right now in the Naismith Hall of Fame. He's in a bas- Morgan Wooten's a basketball Hall of Famer. He just passed away a couple of years, two years ago, I think. Two, it was two years. Can you imagine the pressure that you would feel, that you would feel, having to follow in those footsteps? Right? Maybe some people aren't cut out for that. I'm not saying I'm. I'm not saying Joe is or isn't. I'm not saying that. Some people might shy away from that. Some people might want to, might not want to follow in those footsteps. They might want to cut their own path. And, you know, Joe might just say, you know what? The only Wooten to coach at DeMatha should be my dad Morgan, and that's it. I'm going to stay here at Bishop. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. But that would be a ton of pressure. Because you know, you know people would be looking at you. You know it. And saying, all right, do what your dad did or do what your mom did, right? You, you know it. The expectations would be through the roof if Joe Wooten went back to DeMatha. Because they're like, oh, here it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, what is it? The prodigal son, right? It's, it's the, the son of the legend. So let's go win some more championships. That, that would be a lot. Personally, I would do it, but that's just me. Again, definitely uh, something to keep an eye on in the coming days and weeks. You would think uh, with all the the recruitment and everything that that, that spot will be filled uh, pretty quick. It may go to a DeMatha assistant, somebody already who's been there under Mike Jones. Who knows? All right, one final break, then back to wrap things up. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. How did I miss this? Did this happen yesterday? Ryan Kerrigan left Washington? Kerrigan had been with Washington for 10 years. Is he the all-time sack leader in Washington? I'm just reading the story as we go along here. Now he's with the Eagles. How did I miss that? Did it happen yesterday? Anyway. Uh, whether it happened yesterday or whenever, uh, Ryan Kerrigan is no longer in Washington. He's a member of the Philadelphia Eagles. So there you go. <laughs> so, hey, look, man, some things fly under the radar. What can I tell you? Can't be on top of everything. You try. 
But some things just fall through the cracks. I had no idea. No idea. Anyway, before we get out of here, uh, let's check on the player who delivered. Brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. As soon as I get the cursor over, can I please, where's the cursor at? This is an awful way to end the show, by the way. I just want to let you know that. As if you haven't figured it out, you know, as we go along. Here is a player who, how about this guy right here? Joseph now again, one to cut in on that right foot like he always does. Laid off to Diaz. He'll take a shot, bounces back. Still Diaz. Shot. Dicks through. It's get across. And it's Roberts there again. Roberts does it again. Three straight games, and this one's the big one. He's given him the national championship for the first time ever. The thundering herd are top of the heap. Marshall's Jamil Roberts. That call was on ESPN, too, by the way. Jamil Roberts scored the only goal of the game in, is it called extra time, right? To give the Thundering Herd a 1-0 win over number 3 Indiana and their first ever national soccer championship. Marshall became the first unseeded team to win the title since Santa Clara back in 2006. Now get this, I'm not a big soccer guy, we know it, I admit it, what are you going to do? But this was a tremendous run for the Marshall soccer team. First, they went through and beat number one Clemson, top-ranked team in the country. Then they knocked off defending national champion Georgetown. Then they knocked off soccer blue blood North Carolina. And then they knocked off number three and eight-time national champion Indiana. To win the national title. That's amazing. That's an incredible run. To be unseated. And do all that to win your very first NCAA soccer championship. Congratulations to the thundering herd of Marshall. Winning a national title. How about that? We finally have a national title in the Mountain State. Ooh, did I just say that? I kid because I care. Anyway, uh, so I saw this story pop up uh, during the break, and it's just just another example of how people just wake up looking to be offended by something. And this is a story in Newsweek. Penn State University, the Penn State University, voted to end to stop using the terms freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior in efforts to move away from quote-unquote male-centric academic history. (laughs) I got to laugh because it's so utterly ridiculous. Penn State's Faculty Senate approved the proposition seeking to remove gendered and binary terms from the school's course and program descriptions. The vote wasn't even close. It was like 125 to 13. Really? So now, 
freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors will now be referred to first year, second year, third year, and fourth year, and beyond if your kid's not smart enough. I'm kidding. That's a joke. Took me five years. That's why I can tell that joke. So there you go. I, I just, I, I, I just, I don't, what? What? Is there anybody, I mean, who's, if I call you a freshman, is it, now freshman, the word freshman's offensive? The word sophomore, really? Is that how, is that how soft we've become? All oh, those terms are both sexist and classist. It describes what year you're in. That's it. You're a freshman in high school. We know we know that you're your first year. You're your sophomore. Okay, it's your second year. I got no problem if you want to say first year, second year, third year, fourth year. But if you're out there being offended by freshman, sophomore, junior, you need to reevaluate what the hell you're doing with yourself. I'm sorry. I'm come on. This is enough. This is enough. I mean, when does it end? When does it end? Because if we look deep enough, if we look hard enough, apparently we can find offense in anything. If we dig deep enough, we could (laughs) basically take any word in the English language and say, you know what? That bothers me. We got to change it. Right? The color blue, oh, that bothers me. It offends my eyes. We we, we got to change it. The term gas station, uh, that's, that's offensive because it reminds me of flatulence. We got to change it to something else. What are we doing? I'm sorry. That's just stupid. It's stupid. It's, it's literally, it is stupid. To first of all, be offended by something like that. And second of all, to be so soft that you want to change it. People just wake up these days trying to be offended by something. Just look like that's that's the only they're like uh, like terminators. They're like, you know what I mean? Like they wake up and it's like it's just looking, looking, where can I be offended? Where can I be offended? Oh, he said this. Oh, there's this word. Oh, there's that. Oh, 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 that's it. They live to be. They live to be offended. Get a grip, people. Come on. Stupid. I'm sure somebody's offended by what I just said. And you know what? I don't care. I do not care. Trust me. <laughs> I will not lose any sleep over the fact that you're offended by what I just said. Anyway, reminder, I'm t- I'm not, I'm, I'll use freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, the day I die, and I don't care who likes it and who doesn't. Reminder, tonight we got Nationals baseball. Nationals uh, taking on the Cubs. Uh, game two of that four-game series. Uh, pre-game is at, I do believe, 7-10. So that would Put first pitch around 740-ish. Cubs won the first game last night. They bombed John Lester, his return to Wrigley Field, and uh, hopefully for the Nats that they get back on track and get a win and even up that series. Uh, Speaking of evening up, Penguins tonight taking on the Isles a game two of that series. 
We'll talk about all that stuff and more tomorrow and see who else is offended by whatever tomorrow morning. See you then. 6 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Ah, see you.